You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here in downtown Batuta, Budgie Smuggler Studios in the Old City District. Today we are joined by one of our our favourite musical exports, I guess you could call them, from uh, South Queensland. I guess we can claim her. Byron is culturally... Queensland. Well, uh, in the eyes of the law now, I guess that for all intensive purposes, Byron Bay and that area is part of Queensland. Mm, it is full of people from Melbourne, though. Which um, is actually yes. technically where I live. Uh, okay. So I think we can claim me. Yeah. Just, you can claim me. You're a Byron product Hands and you, you went the other way. Yeah, you went the other way. You went to, you went to Melbourne. Hayley Mary, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we've got a lot to talk about here, but... Obviously, you have a storied career in Australian music. Would you say an alt-rock troubadour? (laughs) (laughs) With a little bit of country in there. (laughs) A little bit of rockabilly. You know, the tragedy is I've been trying to write pop music, but I just am not good enough at it. So, yeah, I'm an alt-rock troubadour. (laughs) Troubadour is such a a cringe word. (laughs) I don't know what it means, really. I I suppose I should know. It's short for alternative. I know. know, uh, (laughs) Oh, is it? Uh, troubadour. Oh, troubadour. Yeah. Oh, no, right. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a minstrel, a, a more modern day minstrel. Like I kind of put my guitar on my back and I yeah, go yeah. traveling, traveling travel a, a yeah. train. Troubadour was a composer and performer of old Octian lyric poetry during the High Middle Ages. There you go. So literally yeah. like a minstrel, but yeah. don't know why they had two words. And that's what you are. Uh, I am. And you've now just started the solo thing. Yes, so that makes me actually a troubadour. Troubadour now. Because before I was in a band which made me like a carny, I suppose, a, in the a, old... A showy. Minstre- a in showy. The, in the, yeah. 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 In the, um, they're called carnies overseas, but here they prefer the term showy. The politically correct term, <laughs> showy. <laughs> More referring to my medieval counterpart. <laughs> yes. But um, yeah, showy. So right. 10 years with the Jezebels? Yeah, well, I mean, if you continue, it's still going because we technically haven't called it quits yeah. what we started in 2000 we put something out in 2007 so a bit longer all right that was our first ep oh we formed then sorry we formed yeah. for the sydney uni band comp and then uh yeah put something out in 2009 sorry so yeah it's just 13 ish so you grew up as a tropical goth in byron <laughs> and then made your way did you move to sydney with plans to be in a band or you went to uni yeah Ah, it's an interesting question. Heather and I both, actually Sam as well from the Jezebels, all grew up in Byron. Mm-hmm. And yes, I was certainly the only goth on the beach in that I, I knew I needed to depart. I hate mm. the sand. <laughs> well, everyone hates the sand, but I hated the sun and the water and the people and the swimmers and everything. So there was, I had to get out to a city. Yeah, the sandalwood. <laughs> and you'd heard, oh, the patchouli. Heard about this place, you know, it was like called a... the CBD. Called the Town Hall Steps. It was, you know... Yeah. Nirvana for the tropical goth. I'd heard of The Cure, I've heard of Kate Bush, and the closest I could get to them was Sydney, which is very far away from them. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it was, Heather and I were already playing a little bit of music, but she'd moved to go to the con. So, I guess that was why it was my logical step. Mm. So, rough, sort of because of a band, but also because I just 
wanted to get into uni and the quad looked the most like Hogwarts. Yeah, it had right. gargoyles. That's why Sandstone. I picked Sydney Uni, Sandstone. literally, yeah, just because yeah. of the goth thing. So. Mm. Well, you must have been pretty bright. What were you studying? I wasn't that bright. I was studying law in Byron, or in which is smart mm. because... The cops. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but uh, because I'd been arrested yeah. as a kid and yeah. I, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a law degree and fight these people. But then I decided I hated it, absolutely hated it. And so I went to an arts degree in Sydney and really enjoyed it. Can you tell us about Byron? Uh, we want to talk about Byron because obviously as it stands right now, Byron's identity changes every day. Right now it's full of rugby league players who have gone there after the NRL wrapped yep. up. That's now their mecca which yeah. is great because it's really humbling everyone who thought they'd made it their own. They're now being surrounded by some of the yeah. loosest, loosest tattooed men in Australia and now ruining this kind of linen vibe they yeah. had going there. But you were there well and before the linen. I think yeah. now you've like per square metre, it's the most expensive postcode in Australia. I think it's probably been that Getting for a while. There, yeah. But yeah, I guess when I arrived there, because I'm a blow-in too, technically I wasn't born there. So if you weren't born there, you're a blow-in. Mm-hmm. But if you weren't, you know, arguably everyone here except but you were there. Is a you, were there you were there before Xavier Rudd. I was there before <laughs> Xavier and a few other people. But I was there in the early 90s and it was, you know, that kind of... We went there because we were on the south coast and it was a bit too straight for my parents. So yeah. we got there and there was, you know, the drum circles and the hippies and they could actually afford to be there at that time. And, yeah, there was a few wealthy people who had been clever enough to... They were generally hippies who'd been clever enough to buy real estate there in the 80s or Mm -hmm. 70s or whenever it was. And there's always been an attitude that the way it is now is how it should stop and anyone else coming in is fucking with it Yeah, because I was clever enough to get in first. You know, that's I've I've never really particularly loved that anti-change, anti-tourist, anti-outsider mentality. Mm. Yeah, it used to be very hippie and before they shut the train lines, basically. Because yeah. I think they say the theory is the Rex Hunt thing got the train lines shut down. Right, when yeah. Rex Hunt got bashed. Yeah, when all the straight-edge <laughs> kids, which my generation was the straight-edge hardcore kids, so everyone was kind of... So, like, your Parkway Drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're mates of mine. <laughs> so, yeah, everyone in Byron knows Parkway Drive. Yeah. Everyone from Byron. But, so, why was... Can you explain why... Because... Look, for the outside looking in at Byron, they think John Butler Trio, Xavier Rudd, who are obviously the pinnacle of musical blowers, yep. who actually were established musicians before they moved there and took their sound to Byron. They but, were harking back to the 70s, yeah, which is yeah. what Byron's golden age is meant to sort of represent, is yeah. that hippie ideal. Yeah. So I think that's why they're drawn to it. I also think the Indigenous say that Byron is like a resting meeting place. Yeah. I don't want to misquote them, but I, just, I heard yeah. this when I was like 10, yeah. so I could have I could mm-hmm. be misquoting, but... That's what I remember hearing when I was a kid. Mm. And basically, you're not really meant to like live there. You're meant to pass through. Yeah. It's a great met- meeting place. And so travellers get there and they spend two weeks there or whatever. And they go like, wow, this could be my life. I'm going to yeah. move here. And the thing is about paradise is like it's like where do you go from there? So yeah. there's a lot of... A lot of families kind of often move there and end up breaking up because yeah. they're, they're a bit broken or they're a bit yeah. lost and they're seeking something. So yeah. I think yeah. I think it attracts a lot of lost souls. Yeah, right. And I think a lot of 
people who are drawn to the hippie culture or the faux hippie culture are perhaps also lost souls, but mm. that might be. Maybe they just need to buy a pair of sand well, yeah. shoes and get, yeah, get a nine to five. Yeah, it's a bit faddish, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what I found was that not many locals or true blue locals or any of the kids I grew up with are actually like that at all. Yeah, and they were hardcore. They're generally bogans or hardcore or whatever the youth of a beach town Is might that, be. Do you reckon that was a bit of rejecting their parents' hippiness? Was 100%. What, the straight yeah. edge? Well, didn't... yeah, the straight edge was, what, no sex, no drugs, and some rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> they did <laughs> No sex. drinking, no... Yeah, well, straight edge was about not being, like, promiscuous and, and not being destructive in drug habits and all that stuff well, in its pure form. And obviously people have their own little brands of it where yeah. they break whatever rules. But Factional. It was yeah. a reaction, I reckon, that appealed really strongly to a lot of kids of, of hippie parents who maybe had broken homes and strange yeah, strange upbringings yeah. and weird names, you know? Mm. So <laughs> there was a little bit of um. You got lucky with that. Hayley. Well, see, I wasn't yeah. born there, like I said. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Katoomba. It was a similar place. Yeah. You could have been a quiller. You could have been something like that. A lot of them have got real pretty made-up names. And, you know, I was always jealous as a kid. I kind of felt like Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. In the Dursley's house. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I've got this common name, you know. Yeah, Yeah, I think... What was the question? Yeah, it just used to be quite... It was, yeah, it was just kind of a surfy town, a lot more like puberty blues or something. Mm. But then there was always the hippies coming in and there was like this, this area of existence that we just didn't really take part in which is what people think of as byron which is like the cafe and like byron people couldn't afford being at the cafe or and they don't go to the pubs and they don't really do any of the stuff that you associate with byron it wasn't until people like parkway and offends and that kind of generation started like making brands that became and the internet made it more possible for people to be in byron and Mm. have an existence outside of tourism that people start getting, like the the identity starts growing. And the hippie, and we say hippie, but there was also the term back then was ferals. Ferals, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, exactly. (laughs) Hippie is a much cleaner aesthetic, really. The ferals would come in from casino and like the bush, really. Yeah. And that was the train line through through Bangalore. So I can see how destroying that train line has cleaned the town up a little bit. Certainly has. Yeah. Um, but they weren't doing it to get rid of the, the... I mean, I think the economy was getting rid of them slowly anyway because affordability, but um, they were doing it to get rid of the footballers from Lismore that would come in to bash Byron. Yeah. Can you swear on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to bash the Byron cunts. Yeah, yeah. Because the Byron cunts bashed up Rex Hunt or something yeah. and it started this... When <laughs> Rex I was in Hunt. Hunt. Yeah, but Such it, a pivotal moment in Byron's history when yeah, Rex Hunt got bashed he on He arguably those. deserved it though. Arguably, but it was <laughs> culminating towards that before. When we were growing up, before hardcore, there was these two cultures called the Skeggs and the homies because yeah. this is like 90s and post-90s. Yeah. Yeah. And so you had your people who listened to hip-hop. Globalism. Yeah, you had, yeah, and your people had to listen to hip-hop and the people who listened to like Blink. Yeah. And they were the surfers or the skaters or the whatever. Yeah. And they were there were a lot of massively violent riots because <laughs> we all binge drank yeah. and we all did whatever and there was a lot of goon sacks and we all just kind of smoked a lot of weed and did whatever we could find and I'm not going to talk about all the specifics, but, mm. yeah, and just ran around the town fighting each other and getting treats in the fixed equipment in the top park. It was gross. <laughs> like, it was gross. <laughs> and that doesn't happen anymore. Like, even no. my brother's generation, a few, ten years later, they're so, like, 
good and yeah. self-respecting. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get that car as early as they can. Yeah. yeah. So, so what was the music scene back then? Was that something that you were involved with in Byron? I remember before the hardcore really took off, there was a few bands and, and like I would probably associate the music scene with like the more adult like hippie yeah. world that you think of. It was always yeah. a location. That's one thing that was lucky. Mm-hmm. People always toured there. Ben Harper kind of really, oh, yeah. really liked to indulge there. Yeah. But I kind of hated that side of Byron and I hated that hippie music because it was just like, to me it was just a fake story mm. about where I lived. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was kind of that. It was that acoustic yeah. And then Jack in, in the warehouses and house parties, it was wow. Yeah, and then meanwhile, the kids who actually live there were like, "Fuck this shit." <laughs> yeah. So you know, but now obviously it's an amalgamation of heaps of shit, and the world's changed immensely. But yeah, yeah I I just remember like, yeah, just angry, angry punk bands. And what did you listen to growing up? Um, and and do you think any of it has inspired your music now? Well, I was very into my school actually and yeah. I was influenced by I did four unit English and a lot like history and humanities and I was a bit of a nerd and I got into like Kate Bush via that because mm-hmm. of Wuthering Heights yeah so I listened to a lot of like English music and new wave and um so my dad's Scottish so I kind of knew a lot about not a lot about but more about British stuff and David Bowie and Queen and that kind of thing so I was kind of listening to that but then around me all this kind of punk and hardcore music was coming up. And even though I felt quite alienated by the local scene, I still kind of, I got invited by a couple of dudes that I was friends with and I went and I found it pretty inspiring mm-hmm. at the same time as then I'd leave and someone would be like, what are you doing here? Like, who, who do you want to <laughs> blow kind of thing? Yeah, like, yeah. why the hell would you be here sort of looks or getting kicked in the head a couple of times in the mosh pit accidentally. Things like that where I was like, I'm not sure this is a spot for a girl <laughs> at the time. It's pretty macho. <laughs> there was girls getting into it, but mm. like kind of it was weird. And But I found it inspiring because they were inventing something new that was a reaction against that, what mm. I consider to be repulsive faux hippie culture. Yeah, And so like bands like Parkway who made something out of nothing and they were all independent Mm. and did something in their own town and also like something like becoming metal but still wearing fucking thongs and shirts and going over to Germany playing these metal festivals where people are dressed as priests but Mm. they're there with like just flip-flops on. They just look like... (laughs) And I thought that was cool. They made something of their own and it made me inspired Mm. to do something completely different to them but still inspired to... That I didn't have to kind of, you know, stick to the... Do what was happening at home. Yeah, the yeah. so-called image of a Byron person. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. then And then you got to Sydney and kind of... So the con is a conservatorium. The conservatorium. Yeah. Where and that's where you, it's your a musical Heather. high school. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The keyboardist in the Jezebels is actually yeah. like a proper musician. Yeah. Unlike and, me. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of followed her. So she was a... Was she quite heavy into theory and stuff as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah, she was like... She could have, I think she left school early to go. She was like a bit of a genius type person mm-hmm. and was studying piano, classical piano. There was thoughts about going overseas and all that stuff. But when we formed the band, I think, you know, none of us really expected to go anywhere, but it just kind of, we ended up getting momentum. And so she got kind of pushed into being a pop <laughs> pianist or an alt rock troubadour, yeah. as you might call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, she is she is very savvy with all that stuff. Proper. The name the Jezebels. Mm. Can you explain? Well, that was 
That was very, I'm at uni. Yeah. And yeah. I've discovered an ism. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, also reacting probably coming from the context of like the male scene that we yeah. were in and mm -hmm. getting called sluts and getting scores yelled out at us on the street. I kind of did notice a little bit of coastal town misogyny growing mm. up, a lot more than you'd see now. Actually, I noticed heaps of it. And I thought, <laughs> let's start a feminist band. And yeah. I went to uni and discovered feminism and mm. did my reading and heard about reclaiming things mm -hmm. and the patriarchy and all that bullshit. It's not bullshit, but it's kind of very boring to talk about now. Mm. I hadn't heard now, of it now then. Now you've done it. Yeah. 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 Now, now, that that now there's everywhere. This, but this powerful <laughs> feminist band and um, poor pasture rivals. Um, <laughs> who, who was around when you guys were doing it? Like there was... Because we just spoke to Bernard Fanning, interviewed Bernard Fanning, and he kind of talks about they were in an old Target, you know, an old warehouse in Brisbane, and, you know, it, people were squatting basically and mm -hmm. jamming, and, you know, the next room was Regurgitator and then mm. Custard were downstairs. Was there much of that around you in Sydney? Like sceney yeah, stuff. Yeah, sceney stuff. Yeah, look, there was, but we kind of kept to ourselves a bit. Um, yeah, we kept to ourselves a lot because we weren't from Sydney, mm -hmm. and there was a scene, but it was like that modular scene. Which I think yeah. definitely actually did brush off on us. Mm -hmm. Like coming from like a kind of punky, alty, gothy, feminist thing, but then with that like disco-y yeah. early 2000s, like presets. Who were all those bands? I remember that song, Van She, Kelly mm -hmm. and all that stuff. When I yeah. moved to Surrey Hills and I thought it was the coolest place ever. Yeah, yeah. And there was all these like the horrors were really big then and it was like that indie, disco-y, yeah. dark, yeah. new wave shit going on. Yeah, so I think that kind of Sydney electronic music that was still quite song-driven yeah. was definitely, and melodic, was definitely an influence on us as well. I can't even remember who was around because we did kind of stick to our own little insular minds at the time. What was the big the big coup? Like, oh, we've been asked to open for... Big coup, yeah. I was, well, our first opportunity was opening for Tegan and Sarah around the country. Right. Which is interesting because our manager comes from that, like from the heavy rock. Everyone in the music industry came from a heavy rock background in yeah. those days. And he just, for some weird reason, liked Tegan and Sarah and booked them and us. And then everything else was just heavy. Yeah. So they were the only connection he had <laughs> that we might actually go with. We got once got put on um, sound waves, though. Yeah, right. sound wave? Yeah, sound wave yeah. was a bit... Because someone pulled out or something and they put the Jezebels on. There's all these, like, mohawks going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, sound wave, was, sound wave was the real deal. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was fully real. heavy. Yeah, we yeah. thought we were a little bit old, but yeah. we're not old. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think the moment for us was probably, like, Splendor 2000. Could have been 10 or 11, I can't remember, but basically it was one of those... You kind of knew you were getting somewhere, but then like the whole, we were playing the tent and like the whole festival was there. Mm. There was no one on the main stage. Right. And it was just like one of those, oh, I remember vomiting out the back of the, <laughs> of the stage because I was really fucking nervous. Really? And Illy, Ugh. the rapper, came up to me and gave me an icy pole, <laughs> like an isotope icy pole and was like, Chill out. Get on stage. Like, Are you all right? And I was like, I've got a, had a bucket. So that was a bit of one of those, yeah, moments of, I think we might be, have something going on here. Yeah. Yeah, Splendor, probably. Yeah, right. And then and then you took it overseas? Yeah, we'd already started going overseas before that. But again, you're obviously just building, playing, playing to no one. 
Uh, and then we got some pretty good supports around that time. We supported the Pixies and Depeche Mode and um, yeah, right. this 90s band called Skunk and Nancy. I don't know if you remember them. No. They were huge in Europe. <laughs> right. Like huge in Europe. Very, very old. Yeah. And, yeah, that was pretty cool. Did a, Yeah, did a fair bit of touring overseas. But then, um, yeah, then uh, Heather got uh, unwell and it sort of, yeah, the second album was a bit of a rough period. Yeah, right. How did you go? I'm guessing with like such rational and careful, you know, like where where you were coming from when you started that band was kind of from a different place. It didn't sound like sex, drugs, and rock and roll like some of your contemporaries. And like, how did you do? Did you did you guys get into the partying? Was the partying as heavy as you see with the, you know, with the, the whiskey bottles being hurled around? No, no, we were like a little bit too intellectual. That was yeah. always our problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably our strength yeah, and why yeah. we sustained for so long. We were kind of like, I remember reading, Johnny said he remembered reading something about us saying we were the hardest working band in yeah. Australia. It was like, because we didn't have any friends in the scene. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. none of us were super, you know. I was more concerned with like, I need to spell Jezebel's differently because then it means she's not a harlot because you're yeah. not some literary fucking pun or like yeah. talking about the biblical patriarchy yeah. or some shit. Yeah. But then I think, yeah, in that period where Heather got unwell and our, we had a lot of some world tours cancelled and things kind of got torn out from under us. We were still going, but that's when I kind of got into the partying. Yeah, right. As a, it was a bit wayward. But it was also kind of cathartic because I'd spent a lot of time trying to be strict on myself and probably needed to get, get it out. A bit of a circuit breaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you've gone solo. I have, yeah. Yeah. Has that been something you wanted to do? It's always, it was inevitable. Mm. But, you know, you just um, – when there's when there's no time, there's no time. And then time presented itself. And I just spent a lot of that – the last five years kind of probably wandering about a bit lost partying, but also trying to find my sound. That sounds really wanky, but you think that, you know, it'll just come, but the limitations and the abilities of the band really defined, you know, my songwriting and that kind of thing. So to find what that solo thing would be took a lot of hit and misses and trying to write with different people and write different genres and, I always thought it would be pop, but mm. I realized the other day I just don't, I don't really like pop as much as I thought I theoretically did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you, you like what it represents? Yeah, I think most musicians like to, you know, acknowledge the genius that is a good pop song and respect it. And a lot, you know, a good pop song always has one thing that's just undeniable, whether it's a melody or the production or whatever. But there are actually very few that for me make me feel anything these mm. days. And I, I think I tried to kind of suck some of the alt rockness out of my sound and like go go for the jugular, so mm. to speak. But not only is that really hard, it can be quite soul destroying. Yeah. And I realized I do like rock. Yeah. And being you. And being me and like sometimes having ambiguous lyrics and things that don't make sense and 
you know, a bit of rawness on there. Was Kylie a big inspiration? Totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Well, growing up in Byron, that's what we would all listen to and it was just like the top 40, you know, like any teenager does. And Ice Cube and Kylie were like the biggest house party bangers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can do it, get your ass into it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And la, la, la. Yeah. Yeah. Back to to front over and over. It's a good era. It's a good era. Think of that as your era. Gravel pit. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 But yeah, Kylie was a massive influence because that that era of her music was pretty fucking banging. Mm, yeah, the epic melodies and all that kind of thing. Plus, I'm a massive ABBA fan. Yeah, favorite band. So there's not a huge... little bit of ABBA in some of your um, on stage outfits. I have to say, totes. Yeah. yeah, I'm only just getting people seeing that they that was my main qualm with the Jezebels. I'd say ABBA was my favourite band and people would be like, don't see it at all. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, that's my mission. It's like for people to believe me when I say that and go, oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bit of flair action. <laughs> yeah, a bit of flair, a little bit of disco bass line in the chain. And are you still getting those nerves? Um, Not quite like the vomiting. Not vomiting in a bucket and having an ice block afterwards. But then again, so I hadn't discovered whiskey yeah at that time and i it does help the nerves but i so you know you gotta I find guess. that happy medium you do yeah. i did do i did make sure i did i started out my solo stuff without drinking I, I did like nine months of non-drinking so that i didn't fall into the rut of depending on alcohol to be mm-hmm. confident enough to get on stage but it does take the edge off it's you kind yeah. of are a little bit better when you're a little bit pissed. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not as better as you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a line there that's very thin. It's a tiny line. Between being like, hello. hello. <laughs> yeah. And what I've noticed in the COVID world is like when there's two shows, if you're on yeah. that line in the first show, you're going to be past that line in the yeah. second one. Yeah. So you do so two really shows back to back. Teeter. Yeah. So, so you've basically been doing with the restrictions and the numbers, you do two shows a night mm. and you kind of have half capacity at each. Yeah. And even then you're still not able to get as many tickets or as mm. many bums on seats as you would in a full night, yeah. but it's it makes it a bit more. So, Fun yeah, the ball. second one's the sloppy one. Second one's sloppy, but so's the crowd. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they've been waiting a bit later, and so it's all right, I think. I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> I you always, came to the second one. Yeah, I saw one of your, I saw one of your second shows. <laughs> I, I, but I've always wondered about – I thought it was great. Um, there was no spillages on any of the outfits or anything like that. There was. Like, <laughs> there was, yeah, but it was before and you didn't see it. <laughs> but I've always wondered that. As that, that finding that line because there's some people who obviously someone like Jimmy Barnett off the rails for 20 years and comes back and then still kind of has a relationship with alcohol and probably still has a drink before a show and, and has to revert back to that line that he actually didn't even see when he was in his 20s and 30s. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that's a part of your job. It's the only job in the world where you're kind of expected to drink whatever they have backstage. Mm. Yeah, well, I definitely pondered sobriety. I mean, I did it for nine months for my own reasons and it was really great. But what I discovered was when I kind of flirted with like AA sobriety, Mm. like Mm. seriously committing to it, I was like, I'm not sure I've given up on moderation. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that it's easy, Mm. but I wonder if you can develop it. Because I think there's this myth and it might be true, but this myth that you're like, the kind of person who just is moderate mm-hmm. or just isn't. Mm. 
But it's yeah. like, but what if you could practice it like anything else? Like, what if you could just keep like repeating that two wines thing, mm. uh, or going home a bit earlier thing? And I'm still, I'm now, I'm in the phase of trying to achieve that because I guess the extremes are just like where you want to avoid, but. Mm. Yeah, maybe Jimmy has found a way. I think as you get older, you do find a way to moderate because you just can't fucking take it yeah. anymore yeah. as well. Mm. And but he's got, you know... Kids and... A few million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lovely big, house. Big, big zipper down the chest too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have to go and play car, a show yeah. every day. That's yeah. the other thing, yeah. I guess. You get in the pattern of it because you need to... He could spend a year in the hammock. It wouldn't change much, would it? He could. He could, yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling on stage with the whole thing? You brought it all together. You've got quite a few people up there with you. How yeah. does that all has that all come together? Because like, it's, it's, it's very much, as much as you have a band that's probably bigger than the Jezebels. In people, yeah. It's still very much a solo thing. Solo thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance because I want it to sound, you know, it's a rock and roll I do rock and roll recording, like possibly even more than the Jezebels are. It's rocky and it's guitar-y and I want it to sound big. I don't want it to be like slip, slick pop with just a, you know, computer on stage. But how do I – what was the question? You very much feel like you're still a solo artist despite having – Having a band on stage. Three yeah. to, two to three more people on stage than you would have with the Jezebels. <laughs> yeah, I do, but – yeah, but I've never done any solo stuff without that many people. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What I just – all I care about is it just being, like, a great experience and I don't really care if people feel like it was a band. That's sick. That's mm, fine. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, like, it's my name and yeah. one day if anyone ever buys a record again, I'll make the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until yeah. then, it's Spotify, baby. <laughs> Until then, it's just me spending the money, <laughs> paying yeah. the band. <laughs> One one hundredth of a cent per stream. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't yeah. it? The, the world has changed a lot in since you you started with the Jezebels. Even it do you remember really you, were, you were, like that was before streaming? Pre, yeah. pre-streaming, pre-social media. So so massive. Oh, there was MySpace in the wild days of piracy. I guess mm. in the wild yeah. days of piracy, which everyone says streaming was replacing, but I don't know. <laughs> it's ba- it's it's pretty much the same if you're a musician, it's, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's similar. Look, what I think's happening is it's. In it's, t- it's still in its infancy and I'm probably not going to judge it negatively because it definitely has opened up like massive markets yeah and it's taken the legs like it's just it's just taken all of the gatekeeping away yeah and that's a good thing and the music industry was kind of decimated by it for a second there and then it evolved mm. and live became you know it used to be the reverse what, what you played a live tour to promote a record mm. and then it just they switched it and you made a record to promote a live tour and all yeah. of the mining you went to merch and live and that was fine but then covid does fuck with that immensely yeah. but i do think musicians will just evolve again because uh, they're compelled to play and they just will it'll just be branding and people will have to get the fuck over the idea that anyone's selling out yeah. because yeah. it's like well you're not buying any of the music yeah <laughs> so Got to sell something, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do a collab with Adidas, guys. Yeah, like, like and you know, yeah. you wear Adidas anyway, so why do you care? Yeah. <laughs> it's and just yeah. Use my song in an ad, and I can get a Porsche. You know, that's, yeah, and when we fun. started, it was like ra- you know, Radiohead with the band, and branding would have been the most yeah. disgusting thing you could yeah. possibly do. They didn't even do video clips. Some of those guys. Yeah, and it was like a very anti-image mm. image, and. 
it's it was pretty difficult for like the band in the early days of um uh social media and all that stuff to like post mm. about ourselves yeah <laughs> it was like fuck's sake i mean yeah. This is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Like it felt disgusting. And hey guys, now I've kind of practiced that, that self-indulgent <laughs> yeah. self-promotion muscle. Yeah. yeah. And I've gro- it's grown because you have to and you just see it as media now. So I think, you know, if you really want to be a musician, you just evolve. Really. Yeah. I, I want to know where the line is too, by the way, with selling out because, you know, everyone doesn't like it, it when changes. someone – Yeah, it's, <laughs> but like I, my idea of selling out is – not opening the doors after your gig, getting off stage and running to the front and standing behind a merch stand and selling your T-shirts back to the people that just bought your tickets. Like that could be arguably you're selling clothing at that point. It's like what's – Yeah. yeah well, what, actually you do sell a lot more merch if you go out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, that's yeah. definitely not selling out. That's just <laughs> trying to survive now. But um, <laughs> selling out – I think what selling out is is when you do something that is actually against – your own ethos Mm -hmm. or it's not so much that it is wrong. It's just that it's against what you represent and what you stand for, for money. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes you do, it's just, it's like how much against it are you and how much money is it? Mm -hmm. And like you, you, now you acknowledge that you might have to sell out a little bit, but it's just like how much of your soul is being crushed Mm -hmm. and how much are you getting for it? That's kind of the question. It's, we've all sold out a bit because we, we only really wanted to make music mm. and you can't make money off that. Yeah, so hip-hop, hip-hop doesn't struggle with that because it's such a flash art form. Well, and it's about showiness yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and selling out. Yeah. And like, yeah, only really indie kids struggle with that mm. idea because it's like, I don't need to sell out because <laughs> I went to university and my parents are middle class <laughs> i actually went to university and my parents are not middle class just quietly yeah. that was really lucky but i i understand that whole thing it's like well, the inner west kind of anti-culture thing in yeah. sydney or melbourne's quite it full screams of, it. of a safety net well yeah it screams of not having to yeah. make money yeah. so you can't really be angry at anyone for selling out these days and i like that that's been removed because there's no, like yeah. no one yeah unless you can just fund your career mm and never make any money, then you will have to sell out at some point. Yeah. I think if you let the government use your stuff, though, I think that's probably the last bastion of being called a sellout. So funny, though. I totally agree with you. But, like, people get pretty political these days with their music. So yeah. they're probably, like, more inclined to let the government use it than a brand, which is silly. Because yeah. the government has so little money. <laughs> I did once get put on a Clovermore ad. Right. Without being asked. Sydney Mayor Clover Moore for yeah. the Queensland listeners. Yeah. And I was She's like... basically the Margaret Thatcher of Sydney. <laughs> totally. As I've been led to believe she's been and the she mayor down there for everything. 20 years. Just she really ruined the North. Yeah, Just putting bike lanes everywhere. Yeah, the, the metro line ruined Mossman the North. fucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I, yeah, she didn't ask me, but I thought it was good publicity. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's not like, yeah, doing something for like, uh, and uh, Hayley Mary has uh, lent her song to the Vote No campaign. Like, you, you, you don't want to go anywhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> Though I did or wonder yes whether campaign. being or the vote. only person daring to give Trump <laughs> the song might, might at least get you some money. Oh, Kid Rock. It's like, <laughs> no one will touch this. Like, Should I? Join the army now. <laughs> it may ruin my career, but... 
I'm just going to go to cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be strange to... Yeah, join the army. That's the <laughs> yeah. worst one. Join the army yeah. and you too can shoot people. <laughs> hey, no, I'm Hayley Mary. You should join the army. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real good time. Yeah. Well, we're going to finish this podcast with one of your songs. Okay. You get to choose which one. Well, it would be The Chain because that's my new single. Okay. Well... After Sensible. this, we will talk to your people and they will send us a file and we'll put it on the end of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. so. so the podcast won't get taken down for copyright infringement again. Yeah, we have this. Again. That's happened a few times. In, wow. Interviewing someone, playing their song and then having to then explain to the, the, label. the platforms That's that hilarious. we have permission. If you just listen to the start of that podcast, we have permission. There, so. Where the artist themselves was on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Well, thank you for joining us, Haley. All the best with this new thing and, and COVID pending. Let's uh, let's hope you can take this solo act overseas soon. Thank you. This is I the chain. So this is the chain by Haley Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost so many dreams through a hole in the world in the world. It's not quite as it seems. It's too old for a girl for a girl. I could tear at the seams Any argument you care to put across You're an easy rider You're an easy rider Can make a brand new star.